Hey guys, this is Jake Walker and you're listening to Living for the Day, a podcast that exists to encourage and equip people to live for and long for the day of Jesus's return. 1 Peter 3, 13-15 says this, Now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do what is good? But even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if anyone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Well, I'm so excited for this episode. I sat down with a mentor of mine and a friend of mine named Michael Williams. He's a master's in, uh, has a master's in Christian apologetics from Biola University. He's brilliant and uh, just an amazing man of God. And we talk about apologetics and why apologetics, being able to give an answer, a defense of the faith is important for living for the day. And uh, we end up talking a lot about just a real question that I had regarding uh, the doctrine of hell. And I was so helped by our conversation and I trust and pray that you'll be helped as well. So uh, thanks so much for listening in. Let's just jump right into this episode and hear what God would say to us through it. Well, all right, everybody, welcome to Living for the Day. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm thrilled uh, to have my mentor and friend, Michael Williams, on the show today. Michael, will you say hi to everybody? Hi, everybody. (laughs) So glad to have you, Michael. You have your um, master's in Christian apologetics from Biola University. That's right. That's so cool. And uh, so we're talking with someone who has studied and who cares about this today. I'm so excited, Michael, to have you on the show. Thank you so much for being with us Thank today. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. I'm excited, too. Come on. Michael, uh, we're on this podcast, uh, before we really get into apologetics, we're, on, we're, we're talking today on this podcast called Living for the Day. Right. We're talking about the day when we see Jesus face-to-face, the day when He appears, yeah. when, uh, when He returns. So we want to just... This podcast is about encouraging and equipping people to live for that day, live in light of that day. I'd love to hear from you. I always ask my guests, what's something you're excited about, Michael, about that day when you see Jesus? Man, what a great question. Um, and maybe we'll talk a little bit about my background, so my answer will, will maybe make more sense when okay, you hear okay. a little bit more about my background. But, uh, you know, I'm I'm excited about the new creation. Wow. Uh, when we talk about Jesus returning, that that is the inaugural event of the new creation. Yes, well, and I'm not trying to get into the premillennial, no, postmillennial, millennial argument. I'm not going down <laughs> that path at all. But but for all of Christian history, we've understood the second coming as this inaugural event mm. of the new creation in one form or another. And so when I think about the new creation, I am just excited because. As opposed to sometimes the popular idea of heaven uh, floating on clouds and playing harps, you know, that is nothing about what's in the Bible. <laughs> in the Bible, the new creation is exciting. Wow. Right? The new creation is this place where there is events taking place, there's travel, there's all this meaningful work. Uh, Revelation 21 and 22 talk about kings bringing in their, their riches. Wow. It talks about this 
enormous, beautiful city that's mm. beyond our imagination. Yeah. Uh, we look at some of Paul's writings. He talks about us judging angels and, and there are these beings that we're going to have authority in ruling with Christ. You know, I ask the questions in the new creation. What type of things will we build? What wow. type of art will we create? What, yes. you know, what will time be like in the wow. new creation? What kind of conversations will we have with wow. Paul? You know, I have a conversation with Apollo. So oh, I, come you on. Know, thinking about that type of stuff is just exciting to me. And also being in the presence of God mm. and being able to present to him my work. Look at this thing I created, Lord. And then to receive his acknowledgement and feedback immediately and wow. in person. I mean, wow. the new creation to me is just so exciting. And that day, mm. the day that Christ returns is the inauguration of that yes. amazing thing. So, yes. you know, to me, I I'm, I'm, can't be more excited, right, for, <laughs> for Jesus to return and, and to see him face to face. Come so, on. What a great answer. Yeah. I love that so much. Um well, we're talking, you know, today about this idea of apologetics, Michael, mm-hmm. and in some senses, like, you know, we're talking about this day, that there's a day coming. Well, it's worth defending the notion or the reality <laughs> that there is a day coming. Right. Maybe, Michael, you could tell us a little bit about why you're passionate about apologetics. Maybe you could also define what is apologetics <laughs> for a moment and uh, just tell us a little bit of why you're passionate about it. Yeah, sure. Um, so, uh I'll start with the definition because yeah. it's a weird word. You know, we use the word apology very differently okay. in modern language than what apologetics is referring to. So apologetics refers to an ancient ministry that comes directly out of the scriptures. First wow. uh, Peter 3.15 uses this exact word, apologia. Uh, apologia basically means making a defense for something. So maybe you'd hear it in like a legal context. Oh, this lawyer made an apologia for his client. Okay, so you're using reason, you're using uh, logic and things like that to make uh, a defense or an argument for the truth of something or or to defend something, right? So an apologetic is like a defense. Mm. So Christian apologetics is defending the Christian worldview, the Christian faith. I know you had a great uh, master class with Bo already on worldview. So I, I love worldview. I love to teach and talk about worldview, but I'm not going to go down that path today because you already did that. But, um, you know, for for me, how I got interested in apologetics or why apologetics was uh, such a big deal for me is I, I had quite a bit of faith struggles in my mm. own life. Uh, when I was in college, I definitely uh went off the rails so to speak and and uh would have considered myself to be a non-believer an atheist uh for a period and um that struggle or that time in my life i think is what really gave me the affinity for apologetics huh. now the, the practical of how it actually happened was uh Hugh Ross came to speak at um CA i don't know how long ago it was when my, me and my wife were still dating and wow uh came and he talked or maybe we were just married but it was pretty early on and we've been married 10 going on 11 years praise god and uh his uh presentation just like ignited this fire in me wow. you know uh, it allowed me to finally connect uh my intellectual life because i have a background in science and engineering undergrad and graduate work in science and engineering and i always had this like dichotomy this mm. separation right it, between the life of the mind and, and the life of the spirit so to speak but yeah. 
you know, there's no such separation in the mm. Bible. Uh, the apologetics really helped me to uh, facilitate that worldview transformation, that change in the way I think and bring those two things together. So I'm passionate about apologetics because I know I'm not the only one. Come on. <laughs> and I know there are other people who are like I was or who are currently feeling that tension and saying, mm-hmm. you know, why do I feel like I have to turn off my brain to go to wow. church? Or wow. why why do I feel like my faith is compartmentalized into mm. my emotions and feelings, mm. but I can't love God with my whole mind? Wow. That is something, you know, that I want to combat yes. in any way that I can. Amen. Thank and, God for uh, and, and yeah, and, and help in, in facilitating that same type of transformation to be completely committed to Christ that uh, happened to me. And, you know, apologetics was was a means that the Holy Spirit worked through to to uh, soften and open up my heart to that. So wow. that's why. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to say thank you, Michael, because it's awesome. You, you were sharing with me, you know, you want to help and strengthen the church. You want to absolutely you want to bless yeah. just like you said you want to help people who are struggling and feel like I got to check my brains at the door and you got to you want to say with all compassion and confidence, no. Yeah. You don't have to do that. Exactly. I just want to say thank you. Yeah. Um, no, thanks. Thanks for uh, the encouragement. Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. Michael, let's I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, you know, this this next question of I know it's a big question you could go a lot of directions, but what would you say in terms of how apologetics help us live for that day? Mm. Live for the day that's going to matter, you know, um, so much. The day when Christ returns. Why does apologetics matter? How does it help us to live for that day? Man, another great question. Um, so how does apologetics help us live for that day? So I would say apologetics, um, apologetics helps you answer the question, why should I believe any such day is coming? Wow. <laughs> so, you know, uh, p- apologetics is really big on getting to those underlying questions, the presuppositions that we bring to a lot of our thoughts and ideas. Mm. Uh, there's a presupposition behind living for the day that the day is real, that Amen. the day exists, that the day is actually coming. I confess that. I believe Right? <laughs> and so if we're going to believe in, in such a thing, you know, we should have some reasons for believing that it's really coming. Come on. The more grounded we are in that objective truth that such a day is coming, we'll have no choice but to live that way. You know, if I, uh, whether I believe that I need to eat or not, won't change the fact that I better eat something or I'm not going to make it, right? It's objectively true that I must eat Mm. and drink to survive. It's objectively true that Jesus is returning, we need to take it seriously. There you go. And apologetics, I think, helps you to think and understand how that truth is is uh, just as real as anything else, just as real as gravity, um, that, that Jesus is returning. And so, yeah. Wow. That's so good. I mean, I'm thinking of 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10 right now, you know, when it says, so we make it our goal to please him, you know. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, like that day is coming and our world is just saying YOLO, right? Our yeah. world is saying, <laughs> live yeah. it up, follow your your truth is just complete subjective, you know, madness. Mm-hmm. And it's it's straying away, as we were talking earlier, from objective realities. 
um, it's the suppression of the truth, Absolutely. right? That we see in Romans yeah. one. And so I, uh, I just love the gift that apologetics gives the, the gift of your skill that you've developed, Michael, to give a reason defense for the day, you know, that's yeah. coming. So I'm hearing you say apologetics is helping us actually believe you that this it. day is coming. <laughs> and if we yeah. genuinely believe that's going to change how we live. Yeah. And, uh, well, I, I mean, that's a great answer right there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's so good. Thank you, Michael. Um, can you tell a story of a time in your life where mm. apologetics helped you live for the day? Man. Uh, so I, I thinking about this or thinking about this question is sort of like, um, maybe it's, it's almost like a yes and a no. So, uh, I don't know if I could pinpoint a specific instance yeah. uh, when when it has, but you know certainly, contrary maybe to popular belief, uh, the Christian faith is not a faith of radical self affirmation. It's a it's a faith of radical self denial. <laughs> it's a go. faith of radical self denial. It's go. a faith of worldview transformation it's a faith that tells you to remain faithful to christ even unto death wow now preach if i'm gonna live that way i better be 100 percent sure this thing is true right i mean if i'm going to just totally give everything over to christ completely um subsume my own desires and will and wants you know that's a big ask. So in terms of like specifically how does apologetics help you live to the day, having confidence in that truth makes it completely reasonable to do that. Huh. I mean, imagine somebody came up to you and just said, hey, I want you to go uh, do something. It's going to possibly result in you dying. It's certainly going to mean you have to give up many of the things you've hoped and dreamed for, but you're going to bring them into submission to this other idea. Oh, by the way, I'm not sure it's true. Wow. (laughs) You would probably say you're crazy. You're a nutcase, (laughs) right? Like, like, what do you mean? Like, I'm going to do all of that for something that might not even be real, might not even be true. It's like, no, 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 no. Christianity makes these incredible demands of us. Not because there's no reward, but because it's objectively true. Mm. And so we are conforming ourselves to reality by being Christians. That's what apologetics helps you to do, is to say, yes, it is actually reality. And therefore, it is rational for me to conform myself to it, rather than try to conform it to myself, (laughs) so to speak. And so that's the way in which I would say apologetics helps you live for the day you know i don't know if there's like i said i can't think of maybe some specific right, instance when it happened but but for sure it's about saying yes this is really true this is this is the way things are and so what makes the most sense is to conform myself to the reality that is taught to us in god's special revelation in his mm. word so it's so yeah. good so good i remember in our conversation um, a couple weeks ago, uh, it was actually cool. We met uh, the day that my wife would later yeah. go into labor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is amazing. Yeah, but we had a cool conversation. And I remember you said something that struck me. You were like, you know, I adhere to Christianity. I follow Christ because it's true. 
Yeah. Because he's the truth. Yeah. But but it's not just because it makes me feel good. Yeah. It's not because, yeah, something like that. It's because it's true. And I just thought that was so brilliant and it's so good and it's so helpful and it's so encouraging. And I'm like, yeah, that's why I believe yeah. it too. It's not because, <laughs> yeah. like, it's not just because I was born into this thing. Mm-hmm. No, I've, I've thought about things. I, you know, I've explored, you know, other ideas, but I've come to believe that this is true. Yeah, I've been convinced absolutely. by the gospel of Jesus Christ that he lived, that he died, that he rose again, that he's coming again. And I believe that's true. And that's why I follow. So I just, I appreciated that. Yeah. Yeah. That was, a, we had a great conversation that day and, uh, praise God for your healthy, uh, baby boy. Yes. Praise <laughs> God. His name is William Christian Walker, and uh, we named him that. It kind of relates, you know, William um, can mean resolute defender. And uh, Christian, we named the middle name Christian. Um, My wife's middle name is Christine. Okay. And so we wanted to keep that, you know, Christ follower theme, as well as the book Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Love that book. um, Moved my heart as a young child, has always been with me. And so we, um, you know, Christian meant a lot to me and so we wanted to do this we love the name william strong defender of the christian faith yeah you know you so here we go so, so related to <laughs> our conversation yeah. of, of apologetics it was, perfect. So, it was perfect well michael i'd love to get into a specific application for sure of apologetics yeah. and uh, we you know started this conversation earlier you know when we met as we were talking about but uh just for audience listeners i want to share a uh this question this concern that I've personally struggled with. Um, and so I want to do this kind of in real time, a real example of something I'm still wrestling with and asking the Lord, help me understand it. Bring me into alignment with your truth, Lord. Mm-hmm. I don't want to walk in unbelief. I don't want to walk in these things. I want to walk according to your word. And so it has to do with the topic of hell. Yeah. And, uh, you know, me and Michael, you know, we hold to the historic Christian faith and doctrine of hell that it yeah. is a place of eternal conscience torment it's a place of of um eternal separation from a holy god mm-hmm. uh for those who don't uh repent of their sin and believe in Jesus and uh gosh a lot of people and it's a it's a as you mentioned earlier today it's a grave subject yeah michael absolutely absolutely and um if this is a real thing, mm-hmm. I don't want to go there. No. <laughs> I don't want anybody to go there. But Scripture is clear that there will be people mm-hmm. that will go there who reject Christ. And um, so I don't want to, like you said, I don't want to conform my Christianity to me. I want to yeah. conform me to Christ and right. His way and what right. His Word, His authoritative, inspired mm-hmm inerrant word says. And so I've wrestled, Michael, with just this idea that it seems to me that so many people will be going to hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's part of me in my, I, I admit my, I'm swimming in a world that is so human centered and not the glory of God centered. But I, I, naturally react to how is God good if the proportion is more will be in hell than in heaven. Yeah. Um, yeah. I assume that because of, you know, passages kind of like when Jesus says 
you know, broad is the gate that leads to destruction. You know, uh, or sorry, narrow is the gate that leads to life. Broad mm-hmm. is the way that leads to destruction. And just the kind of when I use my eyes and look around and see that uh, when I look at the proportion, proportions of the earth, uh, there are more who would not be confessing Christ than uh, those who do. So I'm, I'm, I'm giving you, I'm kind of laying all this out. Yeah. I struggle with that. I know that students struggle with that, that I yeah, minister absolutely. to. Yeah. I just love your help. Um, how do I, you know, really believe and be persuaded, convinced of the goodness of God when there's the yeah. reality of hell and even the reality that there will be more people in hell than in heaven one day? Wow. What a question, right? What a question. So, you know, Anytime we're talking about a really difficult topic like this one, um, these topics usually fall under the heading of something called theodicy. So theodicy, it's a nice fancy word. We love our fancy words in apologetics. Uh, Theodicy combines uh, two Greek words, mashes them up, theos and dk, and it means uh, justifying God's actions. Okay, so... DK refers to justice or something being just. So whenever we have a discussion on theodicy, I want to start off by saying I don't want to, I'm not trying to give an answer that dismisses the gravity of of the objection. You know, a lot of these things are are very personal, mm. certainly personal for me. I I have unsaved loved ones, and I'm sure many of your audience, you know, listeners do, and maybe you do as well, Jake. I mean, it's not, it's not something that we sort of just say, well, here's my uh, logical answer, and uh, just get over it and move mm. on. Quite the opposite, right? Mm. It's because we're moved to compassion by the Holy Spirit that we care at all. Okay. And so, in giving answers or giving some different ways to think of this. I I certainly don't want you or your audience to think, well, Mike is just trying to be dismissive of Mm. the seriousness or the gravity of hell. Quite the opposite. I, 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 I'm grieved over it. I uh, just pray deeply. You know, Mm. I find myself in deep, deep prayer. Some of the deepest and most agonizing prayers of my own life are for those who are not saved. And I, I cry out to God for mercy to them because this is such a um such an important issue so i'm I'm starting off saying that because i will give some logical and rational answers and discussions here but i just don't want people to misconstrue that as as a heartless answer an answer that says oh i just get over it i don't Mm, care so thank you so i'm just starting there just to say you know understand that mike as well grieves and mourns over this and and and, uh it moves me and drives me to action and and to what i think is the best response which is just deep and abiding prayer uh i'll just make this quick mention you know acts uh acts 26 18 uh it talks about uh paul is giving a sort of a defense and (laughs) he's uh he's talking about some words that Jesus spoke to him about his mission to the Gentiles. And, and he talks about how he was sent to, uh, to help uncover their eyes of the mm. deception that they're, that they're facing from the world and from the devil so that they can enjoy eternal life, uh, and, and turn and repent and turn back to Christ. And, 
you know, I pray that prayer over those who don't know that mm. their eyes would be open, that they would be freed from the deception of this world and the deception of the devil. So anyway, all that to say, uh, I understand the gravity. And, and so everything I'm getting into here is going to be um, in light of that. Mm. But but OK, so so getting right into it. Right. I, I think first, maybe we can start off and talk about. Let's let's think about our conceptions of hell. Okay. Sometimes we we draw deeply from the culture mm-hmm. without really thinking deeply or critically about where the idea came from. So is hell a place of pitchforks and little uh, red devils with uh, pointy tails? Um some place where God is uh, barbecuing uh, evil people, you know. That's not at all what the Bible talks about. Uh, the Bible discusses hell as a place of separation from mm. God and that it is the separation mm. which leads to this torment. So mm. that the torment is as a result of being separated from God and his goodness. So the separation leads to the suffering. Mm. Now, Christians believe and have believed that the separation from God is due to our choices, mm. not due to God capriciously or just throwing this guy into hell and taking this one into heaven, right? Mm. It's our choices that separate us from God. So our sins are what put enmity between us and God. Yeah. And, and so, you know, we have to think about hell in that sense. It's separation from God and torment as a result of that separation, mm. not some kind of like cartoonish caricature or something like that. Yeah. So secondly, you know, we talk about hell and, and sometimes there's the objection raised that it's like, man, Christians are always talking about hell or thinking about hell, but you know, it's because Jesus did. There you go. Right. Uh, Jesus talked a lot about hell. In fact, you look through the Bible, Jesus is the person who talks the most about hell. Barely even going to find any references to something like hell in the Old Testament at all. So, you know, Jesus thinks hell's a big deal, and he spoke a lot about it, so we should speak about it. We should be thinking about yeah, it we're as his followers. Well. We're yeah. his, exactly, Come right? Imitate him. Love warns, as uh, Tom uh, said yes. in the sermon not too long ago. So, you know, second thing um, is... It's it's important to think about hell in terms of God is not necessarily forcing people to be in relationship with him that okay. don't want to. Got it. So remember, instead of thinking of God throwing someone on the barbecue pit, it's separation from God. But if someone does not desire to be in his presence, God is not necessarily going to force them to be in presence with him. Mm. Sometimes people will say, yeah, but no one wants to go to hell. Right, but desiring an absence of pain or desiring an avoidance of pain is not desiring communion or fellowship with God. Mm. So we we have to be clear about mm. that as well, right? So again, saying that you want to be don't want to be in hell, sure, you don't want pain, but that doesn't necessarily mean you desire to be in fellowship or communion with God on God's terms. Mm. So there's a real sense in which we can understand hell as a mercy or even as an act of love and justice on God's part that says, if you don't desire to be in relationship with me, then I will not force you to be. Wow. So God can be quite merciful in allowing people to remain separated from him who don't desire him. Mm. You know, one 
thing we talked about in our discussion is that we take it as a presupposition that it is better to be in God's presence than not. But if you are unrepentant and still in your sins and standing in the very presence of a holy and perfect God, I don't know that that presupposition is correct. Wow. It may be worse to stand in the presence of a holy and perfect God in your sins than to be separated from wow. him and remain in your sins. Wow. So in many ways, hell is an act of mercy in which mm. God says, right, your will be done, mm. so to speak. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily desire communion with me. I won't force you into communion with me. And as an unrighteous or sinful person, you are not going to have to stand in the presence of such a holy God. You know, Isaiah talks about being in God's presence and he's just undone, Mm -hmm. right? As a sinful man, he's undone. And that's Isaiah, <laughs> right? Now imagine someone who is not pursuing God at all, uh-huh. being in God's presence. The level of just being completely undone is mm. is hard to even fathom. So it, it can really be an act of mercy, in wow. fact, for someone to be uh, separated from God, who's not who's not who's not really um, seeking Him or really desiring to be uh, in communion with Him. Mm. Uh, now you you know. Your objection is is very very complex, and mm. for your for your audience, I'm, I I might raise a couple of uh, additional ideas or something mm-hmm. to think about because your objection, in a sense, it, it almost has what I might call two subcategories. Okay, and again, hey, I'm an apologist. I'm going to be talking a lot about how to think and thinking deeply and all we this stuff. It. We need it. So. Maybe there's kind of two subcategories. So one of the subcategories is what I might call like a logical or or a fairness critique. Like, Mm. is God being fair Mm. by having X number of people going to hell? Did they really have a chance to know? Did they really get exposed to the gospel? So it's kind of like, is he being unfair? There's kind of another sort of sub-critique that, we usually refer to in the apologetics world as an evidential critique. That's to say, is it just too much suffering? Is there mm. just too many people going to hell? Like mm. maybe I could convince myself that there's a logical reason why God might separate, you know, uh-huh. people and some people go to hell. Some people are in the new heavens, a new creation living with him. But it just seems like there's just too many, right? Mm. Like, and that there's so many that it's like presenting evidence against okay. the existence of God or the goodness of God. That's why they call it the evidential critique. Got so it. it's not necessarily specifically logical, but there's some preponderance of evidence, so to speak, that maybe it's against God or God's goodness. So I'm bringing both of those up because I think. Uh, often people can conflate the two in their mind. Yeah, I think I did. (laughs) And so I think I'm going to try to answer both, but I'm going to answer them slightly differently, right? Because one might not, a single answer might not really address both uh, very well. So so I'll start with the fairness critique because I brought that up. Is fairness kind of a logical critique? What about those who've never heard the gospel? So the first thing that we got to start off and say is that, The vast majority of people who have ever lived in the history of the world are living now. Mm. 
In other words, or another way to say that that's pertinent to this discussion is that in the time when we have the most access to information, the highest aspect uh, access to the gospel is the time when the most people have ever lived. Wow. Okay, so that's the first part to frame the discussion, right? So most people have lived in the current era when we have the most access to the gospel and the most access to uh, uh, the truth uh, of the Bible. So second, or or something that kind of goes along with that, is uh, many people adhere to religions that explicitly deny the truth of Jesus Christ's saving work. Now, this may sound a little harsh or a little tough, but I would raise the question to you, to your audience members is like, look, let's just do a thought experiment that somehow Islam was correct. Islam was the correct religion. If Islam was the correct religion, whose fault would it be that you are not adhering to Islam? Mm. You certainly cannot blame God. I mean, you have all the opportunity in the world to learn about Islam, to test its truth claims, to meet other Muslims, to, I mean, it's there. Whether you're deciding to pursue it or not, you can hardly blame God for that. Mm-hmm. So I think the opposite is true as well, right? So for someone who adheres to a faith that explicitly makes claims like Islam or Hinduism, that Jesus Christ is not the only way, that Jesus Christ is not the savior of the world, you can't really blame God for that person not trying to pursue the truth or find out if their religion is true. Mm-hmm. That is a decision they're making for whatever reason. They have to bear the brunt of that responsibility. Yeah, that's helpful. So so the, I think the fairness critique, we, we really need to think more deeply about what exactly we're expecting from God. Got it, got it. If we want God to have free persons persons who can enter into meaningful relationships, people who can have conversations like the one we're having, who can experience love, something we deeply desire and, and, and just hold up in our culture as almost the ultimate good is love. Well, you can't have love without the possibility of hate. Mm. You can't have true free will without the possibility of not being able to do something. So I can only love you if I can also not love you. And so God has given people the ability to live freely, to make these free decisions because it enables both good and bad. Mm -hmm. And so this existence, right, we have to to keep that in mind uh, in terms of a fairness critique. And if people choose not to do that, we can hardly, you know, necessarily blame God for that. So there's probably this much smaller number of people who really, truly never had any type of access to the gospel. And, you know, that relatively small number who just have no possible way who could have ever heard about Jesus or something like that, you know, that group, okay, maybe there's some fairness critique uh, to be raised there. The problem, though, with that is you are, again, presupposing that that tiny, small group, whatever that group is, if they heard the gospel, they would repent and believe. Right. Now, there's an incredible irony to this objection, because if you yourself don't believe and are raising the objection that, well, if someone heard, they would believe, 
well, you got to give an explanation for yourself <laughs> because it's like, well, you're a case in point where you heard the gospel and now you're raising an objection about why you don't believe it. Well, presumably, why would anyone else not do the same thing? So we can't assume that just because someone hears the gospel, they will believe that it's true. Yeah, that's helpful. So I think it's a much more reasonable way of thinking or a much more reasonable way of thinking about this is to say that anyone who would repent and believe will hear the gospel. Mm. Anyone who would repent and believe will hear the gospel and God will enable that to happen through his church here on earth. Mm. I think about places where the gospel is the most restricted somehow seem to have the church that's growing the fastest. Amen. I would say that that's positive evidence for my case. Huh. Iran, uh, China. I mean, we have Christians in North Korea of all places. Mm-hmm. If maybe your, some of your listeners has heard, heard of uh, the Voice of the Martyrs. It's a great organization. I highly support them. You know, the Voice of the Martyrs flies balloons with Bibles into North Korea for, for Christians who are seeking after Christ, right? Unbelievable. The... The idea that um, it's God's fault that people are not pursuing him, to me, is just seems logically false. I mean, it's huh. a logical fallacy. It's God's fault that people are not pursuing him. No, people are pursuing their own desires. And those who would repent, those who would turn to him, will hear the gospel, and God will make a way for them to get there. And the way he has chosen to do it is through his church here on earth. And again, we have ample evidence in places where the gospel is the most restricted, where the church is growing by leaps and bounds, right? Just exploding. And, you know, that. so so anyway, that that's kind of how I would try to reframe that fairness critique. Yeah. Is God being fair? Maybe people didn't have a chance. I think we need to think a little bit deeper about that. Wow. Can I ask but, you a quick question? Yeah, go ahead. Um, well, yeah, yeah. Let me just ask. Acts 17, I'm just wondering if this passage, do you think... Mm-hmm. speaks to this at all. Acts seventeen twenty six through 27, it says, From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times mm-hmm. um, in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. I've heard it said by a, um, another mentor of mine that he was kind of making a similar case that um, God's God's plan and set where and when like i'm just exactly. it's amazing to me michael exactly. that me and you out of all the you know however many people mm-hmm. have lived on this earth god put me and you in los angeles in 2023 together on yeah. the same team like how amazing i'm so thankful for that Absolutely. and and so god you know maybe i'm wondering if that verse could speak to the idea that god's been intentional about when and where people have lived and um yeah like you're saying perhaps i think what you're saying perhaps he knows and he's and he's known who will repent and believe and those people will have access to the gospel. A hundred percent. Um, you know, this conversation will very quickly go down the road of Calvinism yes. versus yes. Arminianism yes. versus Molinism, and that'll probably derail the conversation. So I, I will do my best to not go that direction. But I would say this regardless of your faith tradition, your theological tradition. Every historic Christian has believed in God's omniscience. And however you define that omniscience uh, as his specifically decreed will, if you are a Calvinist or some middle knowledge, if you're a Molinist, uh, if you're 
more Armenian. You may just think of it as simple foreknowledge. God just knows everything, and it's that simple. Regardless, you would have to affirm that God knows who will repent and believe and who would not. And in his infinite wisdom, he will act in such a way that is perfectly just Mm. to bring those who would repent and believe to him and to those who do not desire to be with him will not be forced to be with him. Wow. So, yeah. So that we're talking about the fairness side. Um, Like I said, I think you could be sitting down and mulling over this or having a conversation with someone and they say, well, you know, okay, maybe I could get there, right? I can get to the fairness. Uh, Yeah. God's not necessarily unfair. He's being just, maybe he's even being merciful, but boy, there's that evidential, right? Mm. But it still feels like, like there's just too many people not making it, right? Like, okay, like maybe I did get there in my mind, but, but it just feels like there's still like a lot of, um, a lot of people who are, who are being separated from God. So as sort of thinking about this, praying about this, uh, how how would I talk to someone about this? And and how do I think about it in my own mind? Mm. There's a a wonderful apologist, a great speaker. His name is Greg Kokel, and I've heard him say this before, is that uh, sometimes when something is really bothering you, you need to doubt your doubts. Mm. Okay, so what, what, what do we mean by that, doubt your doubts? Here's what I mean. Maybe you need to start asking some questions from the other perspective. Huh. In other words... Just raising a question is not an argument. Okay. A question is not an argument, right? Raising a question should force you to think about, is there positive evidence in either direction? So here's, uh, here's one way you could sort of doubt your doubts. If you're really bothered by this, man, it just seems like there's too many people, uh, going to hell. So you say, you know, well, what kind of world would exist if there was no one who went to hell? Well, it would either be a world with no free will or no accountability. Wow. It's got to be one of the two, right? If there's no free will, everyone is forced to do what's good and right. All right. Well, congratulations. We have a world of robots and no one's going to hell. So if we think that robots are better than humans, maybe you'll struggle with that. But I think that love and the meaningful relationships that we have can can help us maybe think yeah free will is pretty important yeah uh you know accountability we think of accountability sometimes in in a way that's not super helpful but you know accountability is really about bestowing dignity on humans wow you know if i tell you nothing you do matters i'm completely removing your dignity Huh. completely removing it, right? Wow. Nothing you do matters. There's no accountability. Wow. Now, accountability is really about love and dignity for people. Wow, I've never thought about it that and way. Accountability, right, entails punishment. Mm-hmm. Accountability entails punishment. It, it entails sometimes separating good from evil. That's mm. what accountability is. So just saying, well, it'd be better if no hell existed, yeah, well... You know, you're 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 bringing in some things into that argument about free will and accountability that, yeah, maybe you weren't exactly trying to get to. And there's some good Christian philosophers like Alvin Plantiga who have really mm-hmm. done good work on the free will argument. You know, another way to doubt your doubts in this particular case, which is one we talked about that day, was, well, 
Well, why don't you tell me specifically what percentage of people would make you happy, right? Hmm. Because if you're going to say, well, man, it just seems like a lot of people are going to hell. Okay, well, what's a lot? Does a lot mean 80%, Hmm. 75%, maybe a lot means 51%? Uh Okay, but, but if you say that you are implying that there is some percentage that would make you happy. (laughs) So if there's some percentage that makes you unhappy, you're implying there's some percentage that would make you happy. Hmm. So in order to doubt your doubts, you have to make a positive argument for the percentage that makes you happy. Hmm. (laughs) So you have to argue, well, 21% of people going to hell satisfies me because X, right? I mean... Right. You got to have the argument in both ways. You can't just have the, well, this one makes me feel like God is hmm. unfair or unjust or not good because this number is too big. Whenever you find the number that makes you feel okay, you also have to make an argument for why that number specifically makes you feel okay. I think if you mull that over, you think deeply about it, you're probably going to come to the fact that, well, there's not a specific number that makes me feel okay. What really bothers me is people going to hell, period, mm. right? Like, I don't want people to go to hell. I don't want people to be separated from God, and that's good. That's a good thing. Yeah. I mean, that's what motivates our evangelism. Right. Jesus Christ did not want people to go to hell. That's right. why he talked about it so much. Right. right. He was warning people. He was trying to bring a message to tell people to repent and turn back to him so that they could avoid this separation from God. So, you know, you have to, you have to think on both sides, like, okay, Mm -hmm. uh, well, okay. What number does make me feel okay? Okay. This number, well, why that, why is 10% okay? You know, why is it 10% of people that could really be a big number that are separate, uh, suffering separation from God. Why is that? Okay. Mm. You know, last one, this is going to be, you know, really just for for Christians, but your podcast is about living for the day. We talked about the new creation and the inauguration of the new creation, but you know, what what is the new creation if there's sinners in the new creation? Yeah. Right? I mean, if you have if if this new creation is full of sinners who cannot die, are unrestrained by time, have maybe some kind of super uh physics or or abilities far beyond what we're capable of today imagine the amount of evil that would persist in the new creation right you know god saving a few and and i agree with you that the bible seems to be very clear that the number of people who will be saved is smaller than the number of people who will not be But God setting aside those people for himself is just profound mercy in both directions. It's profound mercy to the ones who are set aside and willing to live in uh, the perfect and holy submission to our wonderful God. And those who do not want to be in submission being separated. Those two groups now are no longer uh, contaminating one another, so to speak, Uh right? Uh Those of us in the new creation are not worrying about mm. completely unrestrained and incredibly powerful evil being able to just wreak havoc into eternity. Wow. So, you know, God is showing mercy kind of in both directions. And why I say that maybe is under the category of doubting your doubts is because 
we are praying for and believing on the new creation coming with Jesus Christ in that day. But that new creation, again, presupposes that there will not be rebellion. Yeah. Right. It presupposes that there will not be rebellion. And if those who want to rebel continue to rebel into eternity, which, again, if we look at the evidence of just people around us, is there any reason for us to believe that people will all of a sudden stop being in rebellion to God after they die? For what what evidence do I have of that? What evidence do I have that all of a sudden, oh, now that I'm dead, now I won't be in rebellion anymore? No. We're not going to be in rebellion because we have already made the decision to live in submission to Christ. And we will know, because we'll be in his perfect presence, the cost of rebellion. We lived through it here on this earth. Mm. But for those who want to remain in their rebellion, God says, your will be done. Right? And Mm -hmm. he is separating in an act of mercy those two groups. Wow. Right? In this new creation. And so the size of the group does tug on the heartstrings. It certainly does. Yeah. But the size of the group is also a reflection of who God is in his character, Mm. in that people have evil desires, and those who do not want to submit those desires, which is a large group, will be allowed to not submit those desires. And those who do will be able to do so in the perfect presence of Christ. In fact, I hope that you are more motivated to evangelize by hearing this because separation from God is nothing to be toyed with, nothing to be thought of lightly. But, but to indict God, Mm. right? To indict God as the bad guy, to indict God as the one who's doing something wrong Mm. and separating good from evil, I think is to really betray our, our thoughts to our emotions. Mm. It's to really betray our thoughts to our emotions. And, you know, there are times when our emotions are just wonderful and great. And without them, we would die. We need to have strong, good emotions. Mm. God made us emotional people. Mm -hmm. But there are other times when we need to take a step back and make sure that our emotions are not running wild or, or our emotional doubts are not taking over and subjecting what is really true and good. And so, you know, this is one again to wrestle with and, and I think it should motivate you to evangelism, but also motivate you not to indict God Mm. for his lack of justice or being unfair or being not good, but rather it should remind you of God's incredible, incredible mercy and his wonderful call to us to invite people to see that side of his mercy, which is the mercy that allows us to be in communion with him through the imparted goodness and holiness of Christ, right? We're imparted with that holiness from Mm -hmm. Christ. He invites us to see that mercy rather than a different mercy, which is a mercy of separation Mm. that results in pain and torment and all the bad descriptions that we have of hell uh, in the scriptures. Wow. Really, really helpful, Michael. Thank you so much for that. Just even separating, you know, the fairness critique and the evidential critique Uh, I just feel really helped just even the thought with the fairness critique that it's a way smaller number, you know, than I'm, than I 
my emotions would naturally make me think or something like that. So helpful. And, and just with the evidential critique that, you know, just the idea of like really thinking about the reality of who God is and the mercy side and of the new creation, um, that he would not allow evil to continue. And it's part of his goodness to preserve and he longs like we just see it in scripture the cross all of it is like you know i've heard it said i wonder what you think like one of the central self-disclosures of god is him on the cross dying for yeah, sinners absolutely i I think we got to keep that in our hearts you know 100%. so there's just one question i have w- wondering your response to um as we get ready to wrap up and that's i'm just thinking of that story uh you know with lazarus and Abraham yeah. and, and when he's like when he does yeah. say hey tell my brothers you know so that yeah. they don't come here so there does seem to be some of some I don't know if I want to say repentance because he's not necessarily repenting of his sin but he is aware that like this is not oh, yeah. good here and I don't want people to come here as well to me I'm wondering if that gives some evidence that people would change their mind or something like that like they would once they realize what's going on here, that they'd be like, you know what, I honor it. But then the other side of me, doubting my doubts, comes back and says, well, think about revelation and the judgments that happen, and yet people still refuse right. to repent. Um, and so i just wondering kind of your response to that story and that idea. Yeah, that's so funny. So, you know, this is maybe more, this is almost somewhat of a hermeneutics question. So, Got it, got it. In in reading that story, I, I actually have come to, and, and I know some other scholars have as well, to almost the opposite conclusion, which is huh. when you look at the rich man and you look at the way he describes what's going on, huh. who is he blaming? Who is he blaming? He's not blaming himself. Oh, wow. He's blaming God. Oh, my gosh. He is still at that moment blaming God. Wow. He's saying, no, God, you didn't send enough evidence. Oh, yeah. If only Moses, I could go right. back. Yeah. You know, if, if then, then they would repent, right? He is still in that time in rebellion to God wow. in the story in eternity. Wow. While suffering. Wow. He's still not taking responsibility for his own actions. I read that story in Luke as one of the absolute confirmations wow. that people will not turn away from their rebellion in eternity. Wow. That he will remain in rebellion, right? He's, you know, uh, Jesus goes on in the parable to say, uh, you know, what you were just about to quote, right? Like, well, if they didn't repent from Moses and the prophets who were sent, or actually I think Abraham is the one speaking there, uh, then then uh, they won't respond to someone coming back from the dead, which is, of course, an allusion to Jesus coming back from the dead. Mm. But, you know, what the rich man is really trying to get at, right, is that whatever God did was not enough for him to repent. And if he could take actions into his own hands, ah, then it would be enough which in and of itself is a rebellion against God, right? It's a way of saying, no, what you did wasn't enough. It's not my fault. 
It's huh. someone else's fault. Huh. It's something else, right? It, it wasn't me who took the wrong actions. Wow. It wasn't me who, who didn't believe the, the evidence that was there, the prophets, Moses. It was something else. It was some other problem. And I'm not going to repent of what I did in this life. Rather, I'm going to try to find some other answer. And a little bit, when I was first talking, you know, I tried to make this distinction. And maybe I'll just make it one more time. Avoiding suffering is different from desiring communion with God. And certainly the rich man wanted to avoid suffering. Who wouldn't, right? He says, dip your finger in some water so I can just get some relief. Yeah. Of course, there's going to be a desire to avoid suffering. But a desire to avoid suffering is totally different from repentance, right? Mm. Totally different from repentance. Wow, that's that's huge. Repentance is turning around and saying, not my way, God, your way. Wow. Not my way, God, your way. And I don't see anything in that parable that says that that rich man wanted to turn around and say, not my way, your way. He just wanted to say more of my way, in fact, mm. right? <laughs> wow, that is so helpful. I'm so glad yeah. I, I brought yeah. up that thought and that's... That really helps me a lot. Um, Michael, is there anything else kind of as we get ready to wrap up this conversation regarding hell and kind of a, a an apologetic uh, theodicy? I know we could talk about this for, <laughs> for a long, how, long time. How, how long and yeah. we can't do justice to every question right now in this short conversation. But is there anything else that's on your heart that you'd want to share before we um, turn to a final question? Man, you know, Maybe not specifically on theodicy. I, I did want to make sure, though, I, I shared this with you, with your audience, with everyone, is, man, ask the hard questions. Mm. Ask the hard questions. We have a faith that is so robust. Wow. It can stand up to any scrutiny. The Word of God will stand up to any scrutiny, uh, historical, archaeological, scientific scrutiny. There's nothing to worry about as a Christian when asking questions. Hmm. Now, let's get practical. You may ask someone a question and they may have no idea. (laughs) They may give you a terrible answer. Okay. Uh, You may have uh, pastors or leaders in your church who are afraid of questions. Hmm. All those things are real. They're a result of the fall, and, and I'm not diminishing them. But what I am saying is that good answers are out there. There, Yes. There is no reason to be afraid to ask questions. You think there's a question that shouldn't be asked in church? That's the question you should be asking in church. Ask the questions you think you shouldn't be asking. Go to your leaders. If you don't get a good answer, keep searching. Mm. God rewards those who seek diligently. Absolutely true, right? That is an absolute truth. That is something we know from the scriptures in multiple places. Yes. God rewards those who seek diligently. You know, I'm I'm not going to put my uh, email address here on the, on this thing, but, it, you know, I'm happy to. I respond to people's questions via email or text all the time. You know, wow. you, can, if you go to CA, you want to get into contact with me, there's plenty of ways you can find out my contact information <laughs> from the CA leadership, and I will be more than happy to respond to you uh, at a personal level, and I do it all the time. Um, I, I'm just uh, encouraging people to don't be afraid. There's nothing to fear in terms of asking hard questions, digging deep into these topics, because, again, 
God's word has stood up to what 2000 years. Well, more than that, if we count the old Testament of scrutiny and, and it will continue to do so. So, uh, yeah, that would be my, my encouragement. (laughs) The gates of hell will not prevail. That's right. Right. Mm -hmm. Wow. Um, yeah, Michael, what, if somebody is like, you know, I do want to grow in my, um, loving the Lord, my God with all my mind. Yeah. I want to grow in having a defense, being ready with a defense when someone asks or just from my own questions, any ideas, do you feel comfortable recommending certain, you know, um, men or women, you know, apologists or just any ideas, just any advice to this audience who's saying, I want to grow. I want to, I want to have better answers. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, well, I'll say a few comments on that. So there's one of my favorite uh, apologists. His name is Ken- Kenneth Samples. Mm. He always says, we're the people of the book. Mm. So why do I say that? You want to grow in this area, you need to read. Now, wow. some people uh, are not great readers, and that's absolutely fine. There's audiobooks. There's ways to still access the content without having to necessarily sit down and open up a paper book, which is what I love to Me do. Too. And I, read. I, love, yeah. I love the paper books, but <laughs> look, there's other ways to get it, but, but we're people of the book. We are people who, who study and understand Christ through a word of revelation. In fact, Jesus Christ himself is called the word. Words are important to us as Christians, and we need to take that seriously, that we have to take the time to study, learn, and, and ingest resources. Yes. The Bible is the number one. But on top of that, one thing I would recommend, uh, a great resource is one you, you said the name of with probably out even knowing it, but Love Your God With All Your Mind by J.P. Moreland. Great place to start. Great book. Uh, it's written to engage people who have never engaged in this topic before. Okay, It's to get you interested and excited and thinking about apologetics and worldview and stuff like that uh from early on um so i I would recommend that book as a great like starting place for people Uh, it's definitely accessible uh other uh great people and resources uh you know sean mcdowell i would say is just so he he's very accessible Mm. and and easy to just sort of pick up um his his teachings and topics right off the beginning. He, he has a great YouTube channel. You can start there, you know, if you're into YouTube. He has a podcast called Think Biblically. Huh. Uh, he also has too many books to count, but <laughs> you can get his, he has general apologetics books like um, uh, uh, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, a book that he wrote with his dad, Josh wow. McDowell, who originally made that book popular. Him and his dad revised it and, and released a a version recently. So I would say check out Sean McDowell, JP Moreland's book, the one I mentioned, um, uh, maybe one other resource. Um, one other resource I might put out there. Uh, there's a, there's a science apologetics ministry that I think is, is really good. You may not necessarily agree with or subscribe to all of their, um, their ideas, but it's called reasons to believe. And I think reasons to believe is a great organization because they try to actively engage all aspects of, of 
of science uh, and philosophy theology. And I think they do a really good job at it. And they give a fair hearing to different perspectives and different ideas. They have a website called reasons.org and you can go on there. Everything is free that I know of on that website. So it's completely free, accessible. They have, you know, podcasts, things like that you can listen to. But uh, I think that they give a fair shake and, and they try to engage in a lot of different topics. Science is their big focus, but they also have uh, discussions of worldviews, theology, mm. philosophy. And Kenneth Samples, the person I just mentioned, is is uh, not a scientist, but is one of the uh, staff that works at Reasons to Believe and does a lot of that. So those are two or three that I would throw out there uh, as as places to start and yeah, those will then open up other mm-hmm. uh, avenues to mm-hmm. you. You know, it's dangerous to just Google, uh, yeah. to just randomly Google something because you might find some crazy stuff. But right. uh, if you start there and then see who they're connected to and what circles they are, it will open you up to to see, yeah, some really great work that's being done uh, in the apologetics that's world re- or community. That's really helpful. Um so good. I feel really encouraged and just excited. And I really think you've um, just contributed so much value today, thank Michael. You. So thank you so much for this conversation with all my guests, Michael, I ask um, them to say a blessing prayer oh, over wow. the audience. So I would just <laughs> love for you as we close out this episode to just pray a blessing over, you know, I just love to think, you know, some people are driving in their car, you know, listening, (laughs) they're on a jog, they're doing the dishes, you know, or they're sitting down with a, you know, notebook, who knows, right? (laughs) but uh, wherever they are and whatever point in the future, um, I just love to ask the guests to ask the Holy Spirit to encounter them in the here and now. So would you say a prayer over whoever's listening? Absolutely. Um, Man, Heavenly Father, Lord, we we are just so thankful to you for for our minds. Uh, yes, Lord. Wow, Lord, what a blessing! What what a gift! Uh, but a gift we certainly don't want to waste. That, Lord, we spent today uh, trying to think deeply about you, about your word, about what you have taught us, about some very weighty and heavy topics, Lord. Uh, for all those listening, uh, first I pray. Uh, just for comfort, mm. the the Holy Spirit is called the, the Parakletos, right? The one who comes alongside. So I pray, Lord, that for those who are suffering deeply, thinking about these type of topics, thinking about unsaved loved ones, those who 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 are lost, that you would come alongside and comfort them, and give them the reassurance, Lord, that you will be just, perfectly just and perfectly merciful in all things. Second, Lord, I'll I'll pray for those whose minds were hopefully stimulated at some level by our discussion, which is really the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm. Uh, Lord, I pray that what your Spirit has done and is doing in them in this time, Lord, that they would not neglect it. They would not let it just pass away as another interesting thought that popped into my mind and popped right back out, but rather that they would nurture it and that they would allow for the Holy Spirit to bring growth and life in this specific aspect, which is the life of the mind, the life of the mind that uh, you have blessed us with and that your Holy Spirit empowers us to do your work through, through our thinking, reasoning, and 
and, and knowing more about you, Lord. So I pray for both of those groups. I pray for uh, them to be blessed in, in both comfort and in both growth of knowledge and wisdom. And we lift up these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. 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 And I just, you know, it's on my heart to say, if you are thinking, I don't know if I'm going to heaven, you know, uh, right now as you're listening to this and I don't want to go to hell. Well, good news. Uh, Jesus Christ lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again Amen. and he loves you. And he made a way through his atoning death on the cross to, to save you. And you can put your faith in him. You can repent of your sin, as Michael said, to turn away and say, God, I, I forsake my sin and I turn to you and I depend on you for my salvation. Would you be my Lord? Would you be my king? I submit myself to you. Forgive me of my sins. You can say all that right now. And I invite you to, to give your life to Jesus even right now and be ready for that day when you will see God face to face. You can do that right now. If you're doing that, please get connected to a Bible-believing and teaching church. Please reach out to me and let me know. And uh, I would love to celebrate with you and help you take next steps. And uh, friends, we've talked about some weighty topics today. And uh, Michael, I'm just so thankful for you. Thank you for helping me today and our audience live for the day in a more faithful way. Yeah. Amen. 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 Thanks so much for being with me, Michael. So appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks everybody for listening into this conversation uh, between me and Michael. What a helpful conversation. I'm so thankful for just Michael's thoughtfulness, his commitment to the word and uh, his compassion. What a mystery it is, you know, that hell on one hand is punishment for rebellion against God, but it's also a mercy um, to not force people who don't want to be with him to be with him. And it's a mercy in the sense as well uh, that suffering and evil will not continue throughout all of eternity. Uh, It will be contained. Um, That was really helpful to me today that really there wouldn't be able to be heaven uh, if there isn't hell. Um, So I hope that you were helped in some way. I hope that you're encouraged and equipped to live for the day. The nugget for the day is that um, you could be a part of God saving someone. You could be a part of their eternal eternal destiny changing, that they would not be in hell, separated from God, but with Christ and the saints for forever. Would you say a prayer even now and ask the Lord, God, help me. Help me be a part of changing eternal destinies with you. We know it's only in your power, but we know that you want to use us, Lord. Amen. Thanks so much for being with me on Living for the Day. Uh, It's just such a gift to uh, be doing this project. Hey, it helps me um, when you reach out to me and let me know uh, you're listening and um, any feedback you have, any uh, encouragement you have, any uh, ideas for topics you have. If you'd be willing to leave a review, especially on Apple Podcasts, that really helps people who are um, exploring to give the show a shot. Um, so would you be willing to do that? That'd be so kind. And, uh, we got excited stuff, um, underway for the future of living for the day. 
And uh, thanks for being a part of the journey with me. God bless you, and we'll see you next time.